0: It's two minutes to midnight on the Doomsday Clock. We're playing six rounds straight of methane clathrate gun Russian roulette. Orca populations are dwindling in the Pacific Northwest. Manatees are dying from a toxic algal bloom in Florida. Someone set California on fire again. Polar ice caps are becoming polar slushies. Penguins are living on plastic garbage islands. Nazis are goose-stepping out of Godwin's jurisdiction and into public discourse. And America's been googling, what is fascism? A lot lately. Wouldn't it be nice to go back to a simpler time, like 20 seconds ago before I brought up any of that sad stuff and made you think about it again? Let's do that. It's Now or Never, I'm your host Jeremy, a grown-ass 30-something cursed with the voice of an 11-year-old for sass-mouthing a plainclothes wizard. On this very special episode of Now or Never, we'll talk with Talon Jennings, old-timey friend from back when, and grown man with a regular man voice he probably doesn't appreciate enough. Instead of plummeting into another depression spiral by addressing the Holocene extinction, the looming collapse of ecosystems, and industrial civilization, we'll talk about Disney movies and a cool board game Talon played, because for now, we still can.
1: So, what did you get up to last weekend? (laughs) What
0: was last weekend, even? I don't- I played a lot of RimWorld, which is really great when you just want to escape from reality. I played, like, a lot of RimWorld, and my colony is actually doing really good. No one has died yet, and I'm- I'm a good, like, chunk into the game I mean, I'm not like a hardcore player, so the fact that I'm on like my third year or whatever, and no one has died yet, that's a new uh, record for me. But then it occurred to me I may have accidentally set it on Base Builder, and and I'm too scared to check.
1: (laughs) Because you still feel good about yourself. I
0: still feel good about myself, and I don't want to take that away from me. What did you get up to last weekend?
1: Thank you for asking. Obviously then. Yeah, uh, last weekend I went to an event put on by a group uh, called Seattle Mega Games called uh, Watch the Skies, and it is essentially a board game slash role-playing game for over 60 people. Wow. Takes about the entire day. So it is most everyone plays different governments during a couple of years while an alien invasion is going on, whereas at the same time you're trying to deal with your quote-unquote local issues of negotiating with other governments and getting treaties passed, you're also trying to keep the populace safe from whatever designs the aliens have brought with them. In this instance, the aliens wanted to find the species on Earth that was most worthy and then elevate them to high status, and they decided pretty quickly that it was not humans, it was cats. So we were dealing with cat problems the whole game.
0: That makes sense. That, that game sounds pretty awesome. Is there any chance that it could be a covert recruitment strategy? Like, that? what was that, Cicada, some numbers?
1: Uh, I was thinking Last Starfighter when you said it.
0: <laughs> oh yeah, Last Starfighter, um, which is a documentary about what people being recruited from video games to fight actual space battles. Does, is that, I think I watched it as a kid.
1: Yeah, I'm really astounded they haven't made a remake yet. Shh, like, don't, that just don't say, seems...
0: <laughs> they're gonna do it now.
1: But I would watch it, and I would have a great time. <laughs> All right. You know, they would make it like some sort of Twitch thing.
0: Yeah, that's true. There's different places they could take it now. I'm surprised they haven't done a Flight of the Navigator remake yet. That seems like a no-brainer.
1: Okay, pitch me on the movie. I don't, I was so bored by it as a kid and I can't understand why (laughs) you would want a remake now.
0: (laughs) I don't remember that much about it. It's an alien spaceship, winds up on Earth, doesn't know what's going on. A kid is somehow, becomes in the spaceship. I don't know how he gets in that situation. And the zany robot voice, who's like a mechanical eye thing.
1: Wasn't it Paul Rubens?
0: I don't know. That's like the
1: one detail I remember about this.
0: So they just like go go around the Earth. Actually, I would say that is a huge missed opportunity. I only remember them joyriding around the Earth. If you yeah, are me a too. kid and you luck into a spaceship, go into space. It's a spaceship. And that kid is doing everything but the one thing that an, only a spaceship can do, which is go into space. I don't understand it.
1: First off, I agree. Second off, I think that's it. Yeah, I just, why wouldn't he go into space?
0: I don't know. Maybe there was some plot point about they needed some MacGuffin fuel or a device. From the
1: Grand Canyon?
0: Yeah, something something like that. we They need the flame from the Statue of Liberty's torch in order to get back into space. I don't really remember what the alien spaceship wanted or what it was doing here. Maybe it had just finished dropping off E.T. And what was that gross-looking E.T. ripoff?
1: Oh, no. You know what I'm talking oh. about?
0: Where he's, like, E.T., Sorry gross.
1: Uh, you're thinking of Mac and Me? Mac and Me, yeah. The only reason I know that is because Paul Rudd keeps trolling Conan O'Brien <laughs> with it. Which is also great. Can we talk about Paul Rudd?
0: Actually, I just started attempting to watch Clueless. And I guess he's supposed to be a teenager in that. But he's clearly, like, mid-20s, maybe. But he looks pretty similar to Paul Rudd from that ant movie where he's like 50. That just came out. Right. (laughs) The ant guy and the bee queen.
1: You saw the movie, right?
0: I saw the movie.
1: I just, it was a good movie, but it wasn't an interesting movie.
0: (laughs) So like most of 2001, A Space Odyssey to a modern audience.
1: I think that's giving it too much credit.
0: (laughs) Right. Because we know 2001 A Space Odyssey is a great movie, but it's so boring now where the special effects aren't blowing our minds.
1: Yeah, and Ant-Man and the Wasp, we don't know it's a great movie. It's probably not a great movie. I don't
0: think it is.
1: (laughs) It's probably at best a good movie, but it's also, it's just extremely watchable.
0: I don't know. I I got pretty bored. I thought it had some weird pacing.
1: Oh, watchable was not a compliment. That was just
0: <laughs> you can that watch. That was it. a
1: solid five out of ten.
0: <laughs> you can view it on a big screen
1: or a little screen. Or a little. But not screen. right now.
0: <laughs> I have so many questions about the quantum realm and how people breathe oxygen in the quantum realm. Oxygen, which is made of atoms, they're huge, right, compared to whatever's happening on the quantum scale. So how are they breathing, first? Second, where does she get that cloak business that she acquired after flipping into the quantum realm?
1: I can't tell you what happened with oxygen, (laughs) but I think I can help you with the cloak. Because supposedly somewhere in the shot of the quantum realm, the the all-the-way-down quantum realm beyond the barrier or whatever. There was a tiny little city in the background. There are people that live there. There was like a single shot. They were setting it up, probably for the Avengers 4.
0: I will accept that, and I will ignore breathing, because... I feel like breathing, it's like bonus points if you do breathing in trippy sci-fi correctly, but I i can't bother holding it against anyone. It's like sounds in
1: space. Do you think uh, Star Wars planes bring their sounds with them? What do you mean? Those laser sounds that we hear all the time. Do you think they just have a boombox or headphones with what it's supposed to sound like? Wait, I might actually be onto something here.
0: I'm pretty sure it's the guy from Spaceballs just doing laser sound effects.
1: Right, but think about it from this point of view. If you have dogfighters that have spent their entire lives learning how to fly airplanes in combat situations and using their ears as a way to determine if they're safe or not, wouldn't they just set up audio systems for them if they got in space and didn't have that ability anymore? I'm not
0: sure I follow Who's capturing the audio of the lasers in space?
1: I'm saying that Wedge Antilles has an audio VR system, like, hooked into his earbuds that is just like, pew pew, there's a laser to your left, watch out.
0: It's just, like, simulating the audio. There's also the possibility that the Star Wars, whatever, how many hundred movies they're gonna make before Disney somehow stops being able to make money off the franchise is taking place. I think they got maybe three left. (laughs) I don't know, man. Because whenever people get bored of it, they'll just put it on the shelf and come back a little while later.
1: That is the Disney guarantee.
0: They've made three Cinderella movies. Three.
1: List them for me.
0: I don't... (laughs) One of them was basically Cinderella the series, the pilot that didn't get picked up. That was the second one. And the third one had some time travel shenanigans. I didn't watch it.
1: Oh, actual animated. I always forget they do those. Like, I just, I'm so much happier not knowing that Leroy and Stitch doesn't exist <laughs> to me.
0: Yeah, all the direct-to-video stuff, Yeah. You know
1: which is another aspect of you having little sisters.
0: I think that, I think watching Cinderella 2, I think I gave up some time into it, but I think it was like toward the end of family movie night when, you know, we, we were still like going to the blockbuster and scraping the bottom of the barrel by that point. To just try to find whatever family movies we haven't seen yet and so we just we went through a lot of crap i've seen a lot of crap i saw tarzan and jane the animated tarzan sequel which was also i'm pretty sure a collection of pilots for a tarzan tv series
1: i don't think they had the animators necessary to really make that movie disney was really hard up on finding animators to work on the first tarzan movie because just the complex muscle groups that they had to like get in for Tarzan's abs for the whole movie. They had to actually go over to Europe and start recruiting people who specifically knew how to do that sort of thing. And I don't think they brought them back for Tarzan and Jane.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, I think you're gonna make me look up what Tarzan looks like in Tarzan and Jane now just to see if I can spot any muscle shenanigans or something.
1: I've got it up right now. It looks like they really simplified it.
0: And that makes sense. They also didn't bring back Phil Collins for the Tarzan and Jane songs. So since we're talking about uh,
1: Disney stuff,
0: um, Lion King live action is happening All the characters are going to be CG animals.
1: I feel like they tried that with the Jungle Book and it didn't quite work.
0: Even really, really good CG animals still basically look terrible. And the whole movie is just going to be looking at those terrible CG animals.
1: The fact that they can... Disney can halfway decently make Robert Downey Jr. look like he's in his 20s with CG makes me think they might be able to be around animals now. <laughs> Anything's possible. Even lions and
0: stuff. Maybe. I just don't know, like, why does everything have to be live action? Even things that would have to basically be CG anyway. It's not really live. I mean, the sets, the, the they might go use, like, actual Africa for the the settings and and junk but
1: because it's their justification for not having to come up with new ideas
0: i guess so it's just like hey people are spending money on these live action adaptations let's just make the safest bets we can with people's favorite franchises aladdin i get live action aladdin kind of makes sense even even if you do a computer rendered genie it's still gonna be based on will smith who's a real person, so that'll be fine. And if you have to throw Oh, in... is
1: that who's playing the genie? Yeah. Damn it. I might see that.
0: Yeah. Ooh. <laughs> yeah. And I like that they're not trying to do someone who would do it like Robin Williams, because that would just invite unfair comparison.
1: Oh, completely unfair comparisons. I had a uh, acting teacher in college who had to go on after Robin Williams one time, and I think his reaction was just- Oh, man, fuck you. <laughs> just... <laughs> I can't go out there and do anything close to what you just did.
0: <laughs> that should have just been how he came back from it, was just get up there and just verbally assault Robin Williams for like five <laughs> minutes and then walk off. I don't know what else you could really do.
1: Well, I mean, you heard what uh, the uh, producers of Mork and Mindy had to say about casting Robin Williams. No, no. Okay so I forget exactly what he did when he came into the room, but it was apparently so weird that the casting director said that the reason they cast him as Mork in that show was because he was the only actual alien that showed up to audition. I buy it. One thing to go back to real quick, they actually are making a last Starfighter remake. Oh my God. Yeah. Oh, it's from the writer of Rogue One, shit.
0: You didn't like Rogue One?
1: I mean, I hate this because I have no interest in the last Starfighter and now I might actually to <laughs> see it.
0: Yeah, <laughs> fuck you, nerds. You're gonna watch it anyway.
1: <laughs> I will, I care about <laughs> scripts. <laughs> <laughs> Which is my exact same reaction to a Predator because I don't care about Predator, but you get me Shane Black in there and it's like, fine. Yeah, you got my number, I'll do it. I liked Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. I liked Iron Man 3 despite myself, not despite myself, Iron Man 3 was great. And just like Die Hard which was written by Shane Black I will argue up and down that that's a Christmas movie. Brings the whole family together. Well the thing that Shane Black has said about constantly making shows that take place at Christmas is that he feels in script writing it's an emotional heightener. Like if something takes place at Christmas the emotions that are already there are more intense because it's the time of year where you're supposed to be doing things with people you care about.
0: Just once just to challenge himself I feel like he should do a movie set during like Labor Day.
1: I would totally get behind that. I think he would get behind that too. Call up
0: your boy Shane Black and let him know Jeremy wants to see a Labor
1: Day set film. If I knew Shane Black I probably would be talking to you right <laughs> yeah. now. You'd I'd be, be, be talking to show. you later just
0: yeah. You'd have that post Shane Black glow coming in talking about how awesome Shane Black is.
1: Mm-hmm. That, that would be my life. I do want to talk about more game stuff.
0: Okay. But first, it just occurred to me because he's on my lap right now. Did you know we got another cat? No! Okay, check this guy out.
1: I have a feeling you just, your entire reason for going to Florida is just so you can bring more cats back.
0: I know, because every time I come to Florida, I come back with another friggin' cat. (laughs) He's super cuddly. Like, Buster was never super cuddly, even as a kitten, but this guy will just like snuggle all over you. So good.
1: How's he been reacting to it?
0: Um, you know it took a little bit I think his first reaction was like hey guys there's a thing in the house are you gonna take care of that and then it's like okay I don't like it I'm gonna let you guys know I don't like it Um, but now they like wrestle and stuff and Buster gets annoyed with him a lot they have like a big brother little brother dynamic Whereas little brother's always following big brother around. Big brother's like, stay out of my room. You're stealing my mom and dad. Don't touch my stuff. (laughs) Like, if you've never seen a cat make a fuck you face or do like serious side eye, I've been seeing a lot of that. Like, these are legitimate... cat expressions of hatred.
1: I assume you've read uh, Johnny Wander, right? The comics. A lot of their early stuff has to deal with their cats and there's a lot of that going on.
0: There's a lot you can say about cats. Like they hate Mondays and they love lasagna.
1: I saw this one on Reddit recently where it was a want ad by like mom that's just like, hey, can I borrow your cat for an evening? As long as it's an orange cat, I don't have any friends with orange cats and my kids love Garfield. (laughs) We'll feed them. Like we just want to hang out and eat lasagna near an orange cat. <laughs> and my kids are driving me crazy.
0: I feel like the kids are going to be disappointed though, because an actual cat is nothing like Garfield. Does not talk. Does not stand upright. Does not have enormous big foot feet.
1: Arguably, Garfield does not talk.
0: So, are you of the opinion that you are just reading or hearing, depending on medium? Garfield's thoughts or that this is all just happening in John's head.
1: Okay, so this is difficult because Garfield definitely has thought bubbles and not speech bubbles in the Mm, comic. Yeah. So I think that Garfield is telepathic.
0: Because a cat, even if it was capable of speech on 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 a neurological intellectual level, it doesn't necessarily mean it suddenly has a human larynx and all that get up to be capable of speech. So maybe Garfield could just be like a hyper-intelligent cat. Uh, Also, isn't John basically the creator of Garfield? Didn't he do Garfield kind of about his cat? So in a way, by writing thoughts into the character of Garfield, isn't it sort of all taking place in John's head?
1: I think that's giving Jim Davis too much credit. I mean, I definitely give him credit, just not for artistic integrity. Like, I put him in the same category with Dilbert, whereas whatever creative genius that the man has, it's all in under the category of marketing. Like, he's there to sell you shit. I also just give
0: anyone a lot of leeway if they have to keep producing a gag strip over and over and over again for millions of years. I don't know how long Garfield's been running, but I assume it's been millions of years.
1: I don't think Jim Davis does the day-to-day anymore. I think he just has people for that. I think he's one of the only guys who actually has enough papers still subscribing to him that he can use that model. Even then, he could probably run it at a loss as long as the merchandising options are still up and running.
0: Can you imagine being his, like, understudy who has to make the Garfield comics now? I I just, I, I have to imagine that he's kind of an asshole about it. Like, God, you don't understand Garfield at all. He hates Mondays and loves lasagna.
1: And also, he's mean to Odie. No, is he mean to Odie?
0: He doesn't like Odie, I'm pretty sure. They're not like best buds. I I mean, I'm not familiar with the whole canon of Garfield. Maybe they had some coming together art.
1: Let's do a quick uh, canon of Garfield. We can just wing this off the top of our heads. We don't have to go into super details. Uh, What, Garfield has been around since the 80s, right?
0: That we know of.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so that can definitely factor into it from there. But let's just do it like one decade at a time. 80s okay. Garfield, 90s Garfield, 2000s Garfield, now Garfield.
0: Okay, so one thing I do know about Garfield for realsies is he used to look like a fat cat. Like he used to actually look more like a cat who was super overweight. And there was a progression where he started looking more and more like a... He has like a little round belly, I guess. A little pot belly. But like not super obese for obese cats... Standing upright, large-footed, weird, mutated monstrosity thing. So we know over the course of decades, he's going through some kind of transformation or mutation or something.
1: Yeah, I can get on board with this. Would you say that aliens have visited the planet Earth and are subtly mutating cats in order to make them the dominant species on the planet?
0: But that's assuming cats weren't already the dominant species on the planet. And as someone who has cats, I'm used as a piece of furniture way more than I'm recognized as like a a sentient (laughs) being that's sharing space. I'm either a food source or like a couch, depending on mood. Yes,
1: so there's a cat that lives in my current apartment comp, you might've seen him when you came over, but there's a cat that lives in my current apartment complex that just likes hanging out in that open deck area out front. And whenever I come out, he just, the cat doesn't have a meow, it has more of a scream. So the cat just starts screaming and then runs at me and then bunts its head into my leg. That,
0: that's definitely an exuberant sign of affection. But I'm pretty sure if that cat were a human, he would be really into slamming down cheap beer and watching <laughs> sports or something. Because <laughs> that, like that, that definitely conjures a particular type of person. And I'm not like throwing shade or anything about this type of person, but... You know what I mean? It, it like fits a profile.
1: And actually, I kind of have to resent you a little for making me like that cat less.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Should I put that on my LinkedIn? Ruins cats.
1: No, I think you can do better than that. I mean, Ruins Animals is really... I will never not love that Twitter account you made for... What was that dog? Uh, Scout?
0: Nico Scout. Which I, I thought it was not a great combination of. Since we're being honest... <laughs> Nico Scout is two potential first names that don't belong together, that were thrust together, that just (laughs) say I was a compromise. I was two people who couldn't agree on one first name. So I got two disparate first names stuck together, the first of which was chosen on a coin toss. That's a
1: little too real because I... I'm assuming that's happening to children now. It's
0: definitely happening to children now. And they're going to have to deal with it too by having Twitter accounts.
1: I don't know that we've gotten to this point in time yet, but do you think those kids, when they get older and their parents have inevitably split up, do you think they consciously pick the name to go by by of uh, the one that the parent they like better chose?
0: Yeah, they'd have to because you have to calculate. How do I hear? How come you didn't go by this name? the least because you want to have that conversation as little as possible anything else you want to talk about before um the end of the world or the extinction of the human species or you and i specifically die boy that (laughs)
1: that hurt I think I do definitely wanna tell you a bit more about the thing that happened this weekend because it was quite possibly one of the best game experiences I've had in a long time.
0: And you're a man who's had many gaming experiences.
1: Let me just give you the highlights of things I did. I had a disagreement over nuclear disarmament with the Prime Minister of the United Kingdom. I argued with the foreign ministers over the placement of a research center for an hour. Defected from the United Kingdom to China by way of France. I went up to space for my alien internship during which I contracted cat flu started morphing into a cat, got killed off, and then vivisected, came back as a new character, and then managed the decline of the Chinese empire into a new age of isolationism.
0: That sounds fun. So what did you do in the games you played? Eh
1: hey. Dad
0: joke. So were you playing as an alien? Is that how that works?
1: There were people there who did play as aliens. What happens is at the beginning of the day, you're assigned to a team of five people, which is the uh, head of state, the deputy head of state, the military commander, the uh, science officer, and the foreign ambassador.
0: It sounds complicated.
1: It is absolutely complicated. And that's the thing that actually makes it really fun is because like, the fact that you have a team that's a bit decentralized means that Uh, The first half of each turn like you go off and do your thing and the second half is you come back together And then you catch each other up on what happened in your own games and then you figure out what to do next So it's just decentralized enough that it kind of helps with the complexity of it all But the thing that I really enjoyed about it was in the space of all of these big things happening to everyone There's a lot of space for little stories that just almost naturally, without your own input, kind of come around full circle. Like, for instance, earlier on in the game, I was having disagreements with my prime minister. But after I was on the Chinese, like, there was actually a moment later in the game where we were all very worried about different members of the government being under mind control and compromised. And the uh, United Kingdom Prime Minister actually pulled me aside because you're a man of principle and you're acting on principle, which means that I can trust you even if I don't agree with you. So it was like this weird kind of Independence Day slash West Wing moment where you get the uh, full circle storyline.
0: So there were a lot of people playing this game.
1: Yes. (laughs) Yes.
0: Did you know a lot of people who were going to be playing the game?
1: No, I tried to pull people I knew into playing it with me, but it was too close to the date, and so I ended up just going by myself. And yeah, I made like 15 new friends this weekend. It was a really good occasion of like actually finding people who enjoy the same things you do. Even if you aren't super into games, like if you enjoy bullshitting and like storytelling, uh, something like this, I would absolutely recommend it. Like that's the thing, I've been thinking about this game for the past few days and every single time I come back to it, I think of something else that I wanna figure out what happened or think of another approach I should have taken to the problem. Like really early on when I was in the UN, the Chinese team had actually brought propaganda posters with them and they were hanging them up everywhere. And I feel like I really should have issued a formal resolution in the UN to ask the Chinese ambassador to stop putting up propaganda in the council chambers. I did stop the meeting to ask, "Um, what are you doing? But I didn't take it any further than that, and I think that's one of the things that the game really succeeds in. It's flexible enough for you to do anything you want, any time you want. Because it kind of works a little bit like D&D in that there is someone running it, so if you have a crazy idea, there's a way for them to think and try to implement it. It's not just one guy running the whole thing. They have a team of people that are in charge of different aspects of the game. It sounds
0: like a the wet dream of someone who likes the idea of playing a game for a good chunk of the day. John might be into it. Oh my
1: god, John would be into it.
0: Yeah, because he likes those long ass games. I was supposed to talk to him sometime this week too, so I'll, I'll, I'll mention it to him maybe. You guys can bro down about it. <laughs>
1: i love that that's your sum up he likes boring games
0: what's the uh space risk you know what i'm talking about the game and it's basically oh, space 2099
1: risk. that is boring
0: no no no, no. it's risk
1: it's, 2099
0: maybe i think i'm i'm thinking of something else i might be conflating else, too there might have been multiple board games and john's bachelor party was just long ass board games. And there was like one other dude there that just has no stomach for long ass board games. And so we just watched whatever dumb DVDs they had.
1: I would wager you're talking about Twilight Imperium, but yeah, I that's haven't the one. played it. So, that's yeah. the one.
0: Twilight Imperium. I tried. I was like reading the rules and I'm like, oh my god, <laughs> this looks awful. How long am I signing up for? Eight hours of playing this game.
1: Let me see if I can come up with an angle that I could sell you on this with. Do you like coming up with bullshit and lying your ass off?
0: Yeah, but that's why I like uh, Super Fight and Snake Oil, and those are both really fast-paced.
1: Do you like doing it within the confines of a story?
0: I don't know. I don't. I, I. guess I haven't tried. Unless it is the story, and you're talking about fiction, in which I tried, and sort of.
1: You might not be exactly the target audience, but- I, <laughs> But I think there are things that you would appreciate about this.
0: I mean, I like all the space alien hijinks. I saw whoever posted some Facebook graphic with the X-Files type space alien thing, Cold War style paranoia. I I like that sort of aesthetic, probably because I didn't have to live through it.
1: Don't rule it out just yet.
0: Well, we have a new bout of paranoia. This is like a new... It has a new aesthetic.
1: But I don't like the new aesthetic.
0: (laughs) The new aesthetic uh, right now is a lot of borrowed 80s aesthetic. And uh, 90s, if you count like vaporwave.
1: Borrowed 80s aesthetic has really not lost its sheen with me yet.
0: It's good stuff.
1: I think the thing that I still uh, really appreciate about it is we are not taking things as seriously as we used to. I think a good way of talking about it is... uh, through the lens of the failure, the Han Solo movie. Because you get the most, like, creative, some of the most creative and interesting directors out there right now, uh, Lord and Miller, who, yeah, sure, they've mostly done animated stuff, but everything they've done has a specific and intentional angle to it that nonetheless just winds up being really fun. I mean, you're talking about lego movie you're talking about jump street which is really just a movie about making reboots of old things and cloudy with a chance of meatballs which was probably the closest they came to actually just making a straight movie with no angle on it but yeah when they came to uh, the han solo movie everything i would seen and read about it seemed to indicate that they were there to tell a fun and enjoyable space adventure But they wound up getting kicked off of it because the screenwriter for the movie was actually one of the writers who originally conceived of Han Solo and did a lot of the writing for him. And he basically objected to any sort of comedy take on the character at all because Han Solo is not funny. Han Solo is very damaged and actually kind of a bad person and we shouldn't be conveying him in this light. And I think that's something that a lot of sci-fi movies in my childhood and growing up have kind of fallen prey to. I mean, even if we're talking about Independence Day, sure, Will Smith has a sense of humor and is funny, but it's still very much the I am action hero, I show up, I punch thing. Welcome to Earth. Also, wait a minute.
0: Han Solo is not supposed to be funny. Because he's pretty funny. I mean, I know was an improvised line, right? Um, yeah. So that's that's Harrison Ford gets credit on that one. But even Empire Strikes Back, who's scruffy looking? That's hilarious.
1: Oh, here is the quote: People need to understand that Han Solo is not a comedic personality. He's sarcastic and selfish.
0: Isn't sarcasm within the umbrella of comedy? No. Oh. So I guess he means he's not like Star-Lord. He's not, he's not like Jovial. He's like Raphael. He's cool, but rude. He's no Michelangelo.
1: The party dude.
0: The party dude, right. Pretty much this whole thing has been a giant aside, but here's an aside to an aside to an aside. You've seen the Bumblebee trailer, right? Yes. Okay, so for the first half of that, I'm like, is this another attempt at making a Herbie the love bug, or is this going to be a Bumblebee prequel? And I really enjoyed where I was not sure which direction it was going to go. I was like... What's it going to be? And then when they show a bumblebee face and then it transforms, I'm like, oh, I was really hoping for a Herbie the Love Bug attempt. Um, They went
1: really gritty with Herbie. Right.
0: Because also tonally, it was really strange for a Herbie the Love Bug type thing. So I was like, all right, let's see where you're going with this.
1: I'm probably not going to watch that movie because it appears to me that their attempt at humor for that movie is just playing Rick Astley.
0: Well, that was the humor in the trailer, so... Right,
1: but (laughs) trailers are supposed to have the best bits in them. That's how they get people into the theaters. The advertisers have gotten so good at getting into the psychological, okay, and then we need a jump cut here, and then we need to, like, slow down the music and have, like, seven rapid punches here. They've gotten really good at measuring the audience's, like, mental and emotional reaction to things in a way that they can make a trailer very easily without actually representing the content of the movie. And the fact that they've done that has basically meant that every trailer now only has about three seconds in it that actually gives you an idea of what the level of writing in the movie is. And that's the emotional moment and the gag moment. And if if their gag moment is basically it's a fart of a joke, then...
0: Maybe they just thought that the rest of the humor in the movie was so highbrow and clever, it would be too inaccessible, so they just picked the broadest joke they could find, which is the Rick Astley one.
1: Listen, I have only been surprised by a movie at that level once. Just once. And that was with the Speed Racer movie. That movie was way better than it had any right to be based on everything I heard about it.
0: Yeah, it it was... I remember really enjoying the Speed Racer movie, and I was definitely set to not enjoy it, which might have been part of it. Anything I did like about it was kind of pleasantly surprising.
1: Yeah, who directed that? I'm having a hard time That was time the Wachowskis, remembered. right? Yeah, I think it was, which is... What I heard was... That when they directed that movie, they had a very intentional aesthetic in mind, which I hate saying this, and I only say it because I think it's true, which should be true of anything I say. I think the reviewers of the movie were too old to get the aesthetic they were going for. Because Speed Racer was a definite, definite love letter, not just to Speed Racer, but the way anime tells stories. Whereas what they show on the screen isn't necessarily so much the physical action, which is what we're used to seeing in big blockbusters, but they're more showing the emotional action of, like, here's what this character is feeling in this moment, and we're going to get some really cool action lines in the background while you see their face.
0: Yeah, I was into it. You, you're not supposed to go into it thinking you're that it's anything resembling realism. You know, it's not. It's very stylized aesthetic wise i don't even remember it being very similar to speed racer itself like i I remember being very bright and uh candy colored neons and you know just all sorts of stuff going on but i mean i didn't watch a lot of speed racer when i was young but i saw some of it i don't really remember it being that you know crazy colorful
1: i think uh the wachowskis definitely brought their they had to bring their own spin to it because I think the original series was limited by production values.
0: I mean, I was cool with it. I, I, just as well that they didn't, you know, constrain themselves to stick to the speed racer visually. Oh, speaking of the Wachowskis, I read something about they're going to be making another Matrix movie, but the Wachowskis aren't involved.
1: When you said, they're making another Matrix movie, I grimaced. And then you said, but the Wachowskis aren't going to be involved. And then I grimaced harder.
0: Yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I was going to say, the only way that I could possibly see this being saved, quote unquote, is if they waited another 15 years. But not not even then. Like I think The Matrix was a moment in time rather than a enduring story like Lord of the Rings or even Star Wars.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's very of its time. The whole like cyberpunk aesthetic thing it would have to be completely different. Like it almost seems like it would be impossible to do it now with the way technology has progressed. I mean, you could make movies with simulated worlds, no problem. But that like gritty cyberpunk, leather, and, you know, green text on black screens kind of thing. You can't really do that now. Well, probably about time to wrap up. So in the, in the unlikely event that anyone ever listens to any of this, just to bring it down to end on a low note, if you were to survive the relatively quick collapse of industrial civilization, What's going to be one thing or product that you will miss?
1: So I have had this strategy in mind for a long time. The the second, the second I even remotely suspect that this long downward spiral we've been finding ourselves in is about to bottom out and bottom out for good, I'm going to just rock it to the nearest store and buy every single box of q-tips they have.
0: Because Q-tips are going to be, like, worth, worth like, ammo and clean water. Y- you're yeah. you're going to be, like, the only guy I in town with Q-tips.
1: I figure that I'll probably, like, as soon as the apocalypse starts, I figure an optimistic scenario is I have about seven years left on me before, you know, something happens and I have to be dead now. Thanks. So I want to make sure that I have at least seven years of Q-tips. That's seven years of not having to worry about earwax buildup, which is possibly one of the most unpleasant things that I've found in this life so far.
0: Couldn't you theoretically use like a stick or some, assuming we'll have trees and shrubs? Couldn't, aren't there like alternatives? Natural home remedy?
1: Not pleasant alternatives. <laughs> like you think of a stick or a shrub, every single one of those is not going to be as good as just a little bit of cotton.
0: Yeah, but you'll be like a hardened Mad Max type by that point.
1: Right. A hardened Mad Max type with just beautiful angel ears. <laughs> Q Tips.
0: Which I actually I would like the character Mad Max more if I found out that he had a secret <laughs> stash of Q Tips. And I feel like if you run into a um, apocalyptic wasteland lord, like one of you know, one of those lords that have like. A fighting arena that they're in control of, or like, you know, a tower with water and ever-pregnant women in it, or whatever situation. You know, one of those real high-up apocalypse barren. They see you, and they're they're in the middle of that, like, I want that man's head on a pike, and then you bust out the Q-tips. They're definitely gonna be like, <laughs> oh shit, this motherfucker's got Q-tips. We'd be willing to negotiate a trade. I mean, you'd have to be like... I know where there's more Q-tips. This this is just my travel stash of Q-tips. But if you if you want more Q-tips,
1: yeah. No, I'm actually really glad we're talking about this now because I wouldn't think of that in the moment.
0: Yeah, if you bring all your Q-tips, you have nothing to bargain with. You're definitely getting shot.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So I think we don't need just like one stash. We need several stashes, just hidden all across the desert apocalypse wasteland. Which you know I like traveling, so I think that's a good idea. of itself
0: i have to push this further and say like let's say something happens to you and someone finds your map of q-tip stashes they're not going to know it's q-tips but if they go and they like dig up you know x marks the spot or whatever and they just find q-tips they might be really disappointed
1: i don't think they will they might be disappointed at first but
0: they'll be okay (laughs) all right yeah (laughs) Yeah. all right well on that note thanks for the chat uh have a good night And, uh, oh, it's only six o'clock there. You've got, like, a little evening ahead of you.
1: Yeah, I'm not sure what I'm going to do with it, but I'm going to do something, so.
0: Just cradle your Q-tips. Let them know how important they are to you.
1: They're all I got anymore, (laughs) man.
0: (laughs) (laughs) All right, dude. Yeah, I got to go.
1: We can keep (laughs) riffing on that. But, all right, bye. Later.
0: That's it for this episode. Opening track was the soundtrack for Captain Glue's Incredible Week by Komiku. Closing track is What Does Anyone Know About Anything by Chris Zabriskie. Our guest was Talon Jennings, who draws things and knows stuff about movies. You can find out more about him by... I mean, just Google his name. It's the same way you find anyone anymore. I'm Jeremy. See you next time, unless something terrible happens.